there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. We hate having problems. Few people realize the advantage of problems. Especially people find it difficult to accept the advantage of bigger problems. It's all about scale. Scale is the relative size or extent of something. That definition can leave you a bit cold. So let's see if I can help you to warm up to the idea of bigger problems. Well, wait, I don't want to warm up to the idea of bigger problems. I don't want bigger problems. Well, maybe I can talk you into it. So that's really what I'm going to try and do this morning. I'm going to try and talk you into embracing bigger problems. I'm going to try and do it logically. I'm going to try and explain to you why it works and how it works and how you can work it. As we are, our personal grievances, now a personal grievance is a real or imagined wrong or other cause for complaint or protest, especially unfair treatment. Our personal grievances absorb the majority of our life force, our time, our thoughts, our feelings, and imagination. I got a phone call one time a few years ago from a guy in an emergency room in a hospital somewhere up north. He was on vacation. He had gone to this river, and he was in his bathing suit, and it was hot, and he went to jump into the river. So here he's ready to jump into the river, and it's like, this river's going to be cool and refreshing and wet, and it's hot and nasty, and it's going to be great, and I'm ready to go, and yeah, and he jumps in, and his foot hits a rock, and it dislocated his toe. Rather than refreshing, wonderful experience he was expecting, he suddenly had the searing pain somewhere in one of his lower extremities that made every nerve in his body scream all at once at the top of their little nerve lungs. Don't picture little nerve lungs. Don't go there. Too late, huh? Look at you. So all you have to do is say, see, we think, oh, I can control my thoughts. Yes, I know you can. You're, you're such a controller of your thoughts. Don't think of pink elephants. Be in control of your thoughts and don't think of pink elephants, okay? Don't see them dancing there all pink and everything with little tutus on, you know, and doing a twirly thing and their little elephant trunks flapping there like that and their little flappy pink elephant ears. Don't think of that. Don't see that in your mind. It's like everything else is driven out of your mind, isn't it? We have no control over our thoughts. The only thing we can do is give our attention to one thought or another thought, to one thing or another thing. That's what we can do. We can learn to direct our attention. And this is why the work starts with the intellectual center, because this is the thing we can do. We don't do it very well, and we can't do it for very long, but we can exercise this muscle and increase its strength and endurance. And then it will start paying bigger and bigger dividends. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about bigger problems. So I do digress. It's true. But I don't digress for no reason. All of these things, when I used to do this for a lot of people, when I used to stand up in front of actually, I didn't sit in a chair and act like this. I stood up in front of people behind the lectern and I gave these talks. And a lot of people would come and sit down and listen to them. And later they would all come up and shake my hand. Oh, that was so wonderful. I was on the edge of my seat wondering how you were going to pull all your digressions together at the end. <laughs> they didn't say it that way. They were always nice. But that was the truth. Every people would just like come just to find out how's he going to pull all this together. There's no way he's totally off track here. He's never going to be able to pull this together. And somehow I'd be able to package it up. It's a gift. Somehow I can pull it all together. I don't know how. It probably has nothing to do with me whatsoever. That's probably how. 
So he dislocated his toe. Now, the funny thing was, when he called me up, they had already given him drugs, so he was feeling pretty good. That was probably Demerol or something. He was feeling pretty good. He pain in his toe was just this kind of dull, warm throb, and it was really nothing compared to the dull, warm throb of his entire body, you know, just like, yeah, and his mind like, oh, yeah, this is good. That warm feeling of having all your consciousness on something besides pain. (laughs) And so he was feeling pretty good, and, and he calls me up. Of all people, he calls me to tell me about this. And the reason he called me was because when he stubbed his toe and dislocated it, he thought of me. I thought, well, that's nice. People are in pain, they think of me. How nice. (laughs) But that wasn't it. What it was is like, I just thought, wow, that you had your whole leg amputated. And it's like, what a drag that must have been. And that scale, had he been able to put his dislocated toe into scale, he would have been much happier. Had he realized, look, this is just a toe. It's not like a leg. He could have been a lot happier. Would it have made the pain go away? Well, no, probably not. But it would have lessened it by taking all the attention off it. And he'd have been happier a lot sooner, and he'd been happier a lot longer, and he would have been able to do it without the drugs. Now, is that a valuable thing to have in this world of rocks and hidden stones in the river. You bet it is. And that's what I'm here to tell you about. That's what I want to tell you about. I want to tell you about how to get that, how to get something that is valuable in this rocky, hidden, treachery world. Let's face it, this world is treacherous. You don't know what's going to happen. You get in your car, you're on your way back home, somebody runs a red light, and you're in the hospital. You wake up in the emergency room. You don't know what's going to happen. So, Connie was in Kansas, Wichita, Kansas, where there were tornadoes were raging. Tornadoes belong to the scale of Earth. We call it the Earth scale. Dislocated toes belong to the scale of self. We call it the man scale. So you can see there's a difference between the man scale and the Earth scale. The Earth scale is huge. The man scale is like this little miniature, isn't it? It's like a little miniature model. And if we can start to see ourselves as part of these other scales of this Earth scale or this solar system scale or this galaxy scale or all galaxies, all solar systems or all Earths, all of a sudden we start to find ourselves in a place where we weren't before. We find ourselves in relation to everything else. So we find that we actually have a relationship to things and that there are things that are a lot bigger than us. What does that mean? It means there are things a lot bigger. See, he's sitting in the emergency room and he's sitting there and he's like, man, I'm in here with all those pain drugs and everything and it's like, and I'm feeling pretty good, And but it's like all this over a dislocated toe. And this guy I know had his whole leg amputated. See, my dislocated toe is only going to last for a couple of weeks. His amputated leg is going to last for the rest of his life. That's scale. And when you put it in scale, you suddenly then stop feeling sorry for your dislocated toe. This is why people say stupid things like this. It's a stupid thing, and I'll explain why it's a stupid thing. I felt sorry for myself because I had no shoes until I saw a man who had no feet. So then what? You felt sorry for him? Yeah. In other words, there but for the grace of God go I. I feel better because you have it worse. Well, that's not really the best reason to feel better. You see where I'm going with this? But it's a start. But other people's misery shouldn't make you feel better. It should make you want to do something about other people's misery. Not just go away feeling better because you're not miserable. That's really what I'm getting at. But other people's misery in and of itself can't make you feel like doing something about it. It doesn't have any power. Other people's misery just makes you feel like you're glad you're not miserable like them. That's the power it has. But there is a power that you have that can make you want to help alleviate other people's misery as far as possible. And that is really what we're getting at because I think that could be valuable. Often we're forced into another scale. You dislocate your toe. Yikes. On the way to the emergency room, your car crashes and your leg is crushed. Toe? What toe? 
It's a different scale now. Now, you don't worry about your toe because your leg is crushed. Bigger scale. Everybody knows legs are bigger than toes, so it's a bigger scale. It's a bigger problem. The bigger problem dissolved the smaller problem. This is what this guy who called me up from the emergency room was beginning to understand. He was beginning to understand that his problems were not the only problems in the world. And not only that, but they really weren't even the most important problems in the world. Can you imagine what our lives would be like if we could get that one single thing about ourselves? If you could get that the whole world is suffering, there are millions of people all over the world suffering the same thing that you're suffering and other things, you would not be so self-absorbed. If you were not so self-absorbed, you could be absorbed into something else, something bigger, something greater, something higher. What is it we're always talking about here? We're always talking about something greater, something bigger, something higher. We're talking about higher states of consciousness, better states. We're talking about better eyes. Well, what does that really mean? It means higher. Esoteric teachings are all about change, transformation. Change is not possible without something greater and something lesser. If everything is the same, nothing can change. That's why everything and nothing are the same. Now, this may seem like a little koan, a little mind twist thing for you, but it's not. It's really true. Everything and nothing are the same. Because if you have everything, then there is nothing else, so then everything becomes nothing. And nothing then becomes everything. Now, if your mind isn't accepting that, just let it be. Don't worry about it. It's not for your mind. It's for something else. I'm here for something else. I'm not here for your mind. I'm not here for your body. I'm not here to help you do exercises and calisthenics. I'm not here to help you do movements so that you can make your body better or make your mind better. I'm here to help you realize something else beyond the body and beyond the mind something greater. That's what esotericism is about. That's its purpose. That's what it's for. If you're using it for something else, you're misusing it and you will pay the price. And there's a price to pay for the misuse of anything and everything. Make no mistake, there is a price to pay. You misuse anything, you will pay the price. You misuse alcohol, you pay the price, don't you? You misuse a car, you pay the price, don't you? You misuse your body, you pay the price, don't you? You misuse your mouth, you pay the price. There's nothing that eventually you don't pay the price when you misuse it. If you're more or less than you could be, that leaves a wonderful thing. It's called possibility. So if you're more than you have the possibility to be less, if you could be more than you could be less, you can be higher or lower than you are. So wherever you are, you could be higher or you could be lower. How do we know that? Well, you have been lower and you have been higher, haven't you? You have been happier, you have been sadder. So you could be in a different state. The state could be higher or lower. The state could be better or worse. In other words, you've got some room to move. Maybe not a lot of room, but you've got some room to move. The scale principle was evident after 9-11. Remember in this country when the twin trade towers were brought down by airplanes flown into them and thousands of people died? People were nice to each other in the whole country for a while. Do you remember that? People were actually nice to each other. They put all these banners everywhere and they talked about love and helping each other and brotherhood and fellowship. And of course, they didn't mean terrorists. We had to kill all them. But everybody else who lived in the country, all the other people who were touched by that, we could love them. I see you have these smirks on your faces like, yeah, well, that's the way it was. It's true. And it's unfortunate that our love couldn't extend to include the terrorists as well. But that's the way we are. Because we could be better, couldn't we? We could be better. And we actually, you're smirking because you recognize, well, that's really not that loving, is it? 
Yeah, we, we love all these people who got hurt, but we'll kill all the people who hurt them. And so what about all the people that that hurts? Well, they deserve it, really. Then all the people that were hurt here deserved it too. No, they didn't deserve it. That was wrong. We get to make all the rules as it is. But with something higher, something greater, we don't get to make all the rules. And that's what we don't like about something greater. We want something greater. We want something higher. We want to be something higher. But we want to be able to make all the rules. But the two things don't go together. And that's the unfortunate thing. The great common danger, the great common agony and pain of all that suffering and all that loss and all the mindlessness and the insanity of that violence did something. It dissolved personal antagonisms. You let people out in line in the car. You're in the car and you were nicer. You just were aware of this. You were aware of this big, huge national event that became a world event. You were aware of it, and suddenly you were aware of other people, and you were aware that people were real, and they suffered, and they hurt, and that people who were innocent or appeared innocent suffered and hurt because of mindless acts of other people who hated and misunderstood and slashed out in their rage and their feeling of inadequacy and impotency. And so in that state of mind, our personal antagonisms were dissolved. Maurice Nicole said the world of humanity is full of personal and natural antagonisms. Only something bigger, something greater, on another scale, can destroy the power they exert over us. You see, these antagonisms exert a power over us. They make us do things and say things that we would not do and say if we were in our right minds. We don't know our right minds. That's right. You don't know your right mind, but you could discover it. And that's what esotericism is about. It's about helping you discover your right mind. Because right now, we're wrong-minded. Right now, we are wrong-minded. You must see this about yourself. And the only way for you to see that you are wrong-minded is to see that there is something more right-minded than you. The only way to see that you're not loving is to see that there's something more loving than you. The only way to see that you're not generous is to see that there's something that gives more than you give. Does that mean you're not generous at all? No, it means in scale you could be better. That's what it means. Do you want to be better? Yes, we all want to be better. It's something innate in us. We seek something higher. We all do. The people who don't seek something higher, the people who are wallowing in something lower, it's because they've given up hope. They don't think it's possible to get something higher. They don't think there is something higher. They think it's all a myth, and so they give up, and they take what they can get. Sound familiar? It's what you do when you're discouraged and depressed. The difficult part for us is realizing that we are under the power of a malevolent force. It's not that the force wishes to do evil as much as it has its own agenda that doesn't include you as anything except food. It's just that simple. On its scale, you're a snack. On your scale, you have a dislocated toe, and it's everything. It's the whole world to you now. It's a trip to the emergency room. It's make this pain go away. It's drugs. It's anything. But then you think, wow, what about that other guy who had his leg amputated? Wow, that is huge. I mean, if I'm in this much pain over that, what must it have been like for him? My God, you're actually externally considering, sort of. It's connected internal considering, but it's still a step in the direction, isn't it? And it was so much so that he actually made the phone call. So, well, I just wanted you to know that I thought about you, and I thought what that must be like. Like, okay, well, it sucked. <laughs> That's what I can tell you. It wasn't that much fun. And it's still not a lot of fun, but it's all in scale. You know, in scale, it's just another amputated limb in scale. In scale, it's like, well... It doesn't really matter. It's only 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 short years. In the big scheme of things, it's not even a blink. How old is the earth? Billions of years old. So how old is the universe? We don't know. So in scale, it's not even a blink. 
and scale it's not even a whisper it's nothing so you see how scale suddenly sets you free and dissolves the petty problems of our life bigger problems because bigger problems belong to bigger scale <laughs> so if you're going to have bigger scale guess what you're going to have bigger problems but those problems can be dissolved by bigger scale our pride our vanity and our imagination won't let us see that we're being farmed like sheep or cattle a fact we regularly forget and a fact that i pretty regularly remind you of you as you are in your current state are grass to be harvested by something that eats grass your grapes that are something to be harvested by something that makes wine it'll harvest the grapes and toss them into a wine vat and crush them and be happy doing it because it knows it's going to have wine but as a grape you're not going to be too happy at being crushed so we need to get this whole scale thing we forget because it takes effort to remember which takes force which we've allowed to be drained through the five senses because we love what the five senses promise us the five senses are like teenage boys who want to explore the hidden virtues of teenage girls and they will tell them anything to get them to give it up and we are like the girls who will believe anything to get what we want and that's how we are with the five senses we believe whatever they tell us why because we love them and we really secretly want them what they don't tell us is what it's going to cost us it doesn't matter cuz we wouldn't listen anyhow without the idea of greater mind our force will always be drained and will never progress to our true meaning see what each and every one of you is looking for whether you know it or not is your true meaning what you are really for what do you really mean what is it that you're for why are you here what do you mean that's what man has been asking forever what does all this mean what do i mean here what does this mean what do i mean what's it all about that's what we're looking for we're looking for our own true meaning the only way to find your own true meaning is to find out what you actually are who you really are why you came into existence you must be here for some reason well for the people who've given up they say no no it just happened The material world just spawned you. That's all. That's called the sensory world view. You look through the senses and what you view is all there is, so that's a sensory world view. People who have a sensory world view only look through the five senses. So they have a sensory world view. Esotericism has a different view because it looks within. It looks to something higher, it looks to something beyond the five senses. And it says that something spawned the five senses. That the five senses are not the cause of anything, but the effect of something else. Whereas if you can only see the five senses, you can't even imagine that there's something could have caused them, that something else that you can't see made what you can see come into being. Nicole said the purpose of religion was to bring into man's consciousness the constant sense of something greater than himself in daily life, greater scale. Why does he say it was? Well, because it has failed. That's why. Because religion has failed to do that on a regular, consistent basis. It does not work. Because if it did work, everybody who came out of church on Sunday would have that sense of something greater than himself in his life right now and throughout the entire week. But they don't. How do you know they don't? Well, because they'll go and be mean to the waitress where they have lunch. They'll go and open their car door into somebody's car door, and they won't leave a note, or they won't find out who the person was, so that they can pay for the damage that they did. That's how you know they don't have any sense of anything greater than themselves. That's how you know because their whole life is about themselves. So religion failed, but its purpose was to bring into man's consciousness the constant sense of something greater than himself in daily life, greater scale. Any religion can easily produce a feeling of merit and superiority. We know that. Any religion can do that. When the fourth wave produces that in us, it has fallen to the level of exoteric religion. Exoteric religion is like you've heard of the Texas two-step. It's a dance. 
fixes two-step? Well, when the fourth way falls to the level of exoteric religion, that's called the California four-step. Being glued to the world through the five senses immerses us in illusion. What is the illusion? The illusion that the sum of reality is available to our limited senses. That what we see, what we hear, what we taste, what we touch, what we feel, that is all there is. That is an illusion. How do we know that's an illusion? Microscopes and telescopes have proven to us beyond the shadow of a doubt, intellectually, that that's an illusion. But it hasn't proven it to us emotionally. Because emotionally, we still believe in our senses. Our senses are entirely in control of our emotions. And that has to change if you would like to open on to something greater. If you want to continue to open on to something small and limited, then just keep on operating through your five senses. If you would like to open on to something greater, something larger, some greater possibility for yourself, some expansive possibility, more light, more consciousness, more being, more meaning, then you have to look somewhere else. You can't look through the five senses. They've given you all they have to give you. Only thing you can do now is repeat. Rinse and repeat. That's what life is, isn't it? Rinse and repeat. Rinse and repeat over and over and over again. I watched an interview one time with Mickey Rooney, and he'd been married five times at that point. He said, wow, you really don't get along with marriage. He said, are you kidding? I love marriage. That's why I keep on doing it. I just never give up. I think he did give up five times. That was then. He gave up four times. I don't, he was about to get, he would, he would give up on the fifth one, too, if he didn't die first. I don't know what happened, but... It's the way we are until we're some other way. And you don't get to be some other way by growing older. You have to make effort. And effort takes force. And remember, we're all our forces being drained through the five senses and our love for what they promise us. Remember I said that? Good. Once we become convinced of this, we're ensnared and begin to die. Once we become convinced of what? Once we become convinced that we're in this illusion, that the sum total of reality is available to our limited senses. Once we become convinced of that, once we see that we are in this illusion, then we begin to die because the illusion cannot stand, can it? Once you start to see the illusion, automatically it starts to disintegrate whether you like it disintegrating or not. Whether you want it to dissolve or not, it starts to dissolve and we begin to die. When the truth finds us, the race begins. How much can we progress before we run out of time? That's really the question, isn't it? How much can you progress before you run out of time. And we try and figure that out sensually, don't we? We try and figure out, well, I've got this much time and I've got this much energy. I've got this much effort and I want to do this, 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 and this. So that leaves this much time. We, we could actually make out a spreadsheet. And I'm sure some people do. And then they weigh it out and they go, oh, I can't make it. So they give up. They get discouraged. They get depressed. And then I come along and screw with the spreadsheet. And then all of a sudden they're encouraged again. And they well, I'm going to try again anyway. And, and then they go back to their spreadsheet and then they get all depressed again. And then they come back here and they see that I erase part of the spreadsheet or pull the plug on the computer or whatever. And then they go, oh, they try again. And it's just a constant swing of the pendulum back and forth. But it's okay because that's the way we walk. One leg to the next. We walk on two legs. Well, most people do. <laughs> Even I do, actually. Just one of them isn't all mine. Well, wait a second. It's all mine. It's probably more mine than yours is. I bought mine. Who bought yours? <laughs> all esotericism turns on a scale greater than the scale of man. This is why the ray of creation can shake us loose. It begins with the idea there's something higher, something greater. It begins with the idea that you did not just pop up here as a result of molecules getting together in water and having some chemical reaction. It didn't just all happen here. In other words, the physical universe didn't spawn itself. The physical universe didn't create itself. This is the non-sensual worldview, the non-sensual, the non-sensory scale. 
For us, everything becomes about facing the right direction and the struggle that that involves. So what's the struggle involved with facing the right direction? Doing the right thing. You find money in a store. So there's a $20 bill on the floor. What do you do? Well, there's no way to know who dropped that $20 bill unless you saw them drop it and you didn't. So what do you do? Well, you leave the $20 bill there and somebody else will pick it up. And they'll get it, right? And will they give it to the person who dropped it? No, they probably didn't see it either. So they'll get it, and you won't get it. Well, it's easy to see what to do. You pick up the $20 bill, and you put it in your own pocket. And you say to yourself, well, if I ever see somebody drop a $20 bill, I'll pick it up and give it to them, right? Or you say, well, I'll go turn it in. And so you go turn it into somebody, and they go, well, okay, if anybody comes and says they dropped a $20 bill, I'll give this to them. If they don't, I'll keep it myself. So you say, well, that's just like the other person who saw it in the store, and they were going to pick it up and put it in their own pocket. Then I don't get it. I mean, after all, it's going to go to waste because the person who dropped it isn't going to get it. There's no way to find who dropped it. So therefore, it must be mine. Yes, I'm pretty sure it's God giving me $20 because I smiled at that person the other day. See, we have all these things will justify what we want. What is it we want? We want that $20. Why? Because we think that $20 is going to get us something that's going to make us happy. And what we actually do is we sell for $20 the very thing that would actually make us happy. Our integrity, our character, our truer nature, our real self. We sell it for 20 bucks. Why? Because it doesn't mean much to us. Why? Because we're in love with the senses and the world of the senses and we want what it has and we don't want what our character has, what our true nature has, what it might open up onto. Why? Because we can't see it. We can't taste it. We can't feel it. We can't touch it. And so it doesn't really exist. Why? Because we live in the world of the sensory scale. We believe in life. But you're here, so that means there's something in you that intuitively says, no, what I see is not all there is. There's more. Now, what you're trying to discover is, is it worth the effort? That's the struggle, folks, that is involved with facing the right direction because there's something pulling us in the other direction. And what's pulling us is the hypnotism of life. And it's strong. It's powerful because that's where we're connected, through the five senses. Turned out, would we leak force? We're eaten. We're imprisoned. We get lost in the details. Turned inward, we open onto infinite possibilities. But we can't use our five senses to see those infinite possibilities, to know those infinite possibilities. So now what? The work says you have other senses. All esotericism says you have other senses, internal senses, that you don't know about, but you could learn about and you could develop. And that they can become more real to you than your five senses. You say, I don't think so. But I'm willing to try. I'll give it some effort. I'll invest some time. You give me a little capital. You show me something. And maybe I'll invest a little more. And that's what you're doing here. I've given you some capital. The ideas. And you've played with that capital a little bit. And you've found that, yes, they are valid. There is something to it. And now you're trying to decide how much more to give to it. And I'm trying to encourage you to give more. And you're thinking with your five senses and saying, he's just trying to get what I got. (laughs) Yeah, that's all I want. I want what you got. (laughs) Yeah, I'm standing in line for that. Uh, Just in case you hadn't noticed, what you got is not hot. (laughs) It's funny how we think, isn't it? The question becomes, how can we be in the world and not of the world? The work says non-identification. That's great. All esoteric teachings say the same thing. But how? How does that work? How does non-identification work? Nothing can be explained in terms of itself because nothing exists apart from everything else. It's all connected. So you can't explain anything in terms of itself. Nothing. Take that lamp right there with the light on there. Or take this lamp with the light on. 
It can't be explained. It's a lamp. It gives light, but it can't be explained. Where's the light come from? It comes from electricity. Where's the electricity come from? It comes through the wires. Where were they attached to? Ah, see, what's it connected to? It's connected to coal. What's that connected to? It's connected to dinosaurs. What's that connected to? <laughs> connected to life. Where did the dinosaurs come from? What happened to the dinosaurs? Well, when was that? Whoa. See, well, I don't believe in dinosaurs, you know. <laughs> Okay, they turn out the light. <laughs> you know, what can I say? People, you know, it's like we just don't think. And esotericism is about learning how to think, to think in a new way. Because unless you think in a new way, you're going to think in the old way. And if you keep thinking in the old way, the old things are always going to happen to you. As we are, we're so limited, it's tragic. We're like earthworms in a foot race. Just in case you hadn't noticed, earthworms don't have feet. So they are severely disadvantaged. And we are as well. This is the exoteric worldview. Tornadoes, earthquakes, droughts, famines are seen as an external God acting unfavorably. You know someone has the exoteric worldview when they're sacrificing to stop the gods from being unfavorable toward them. That's an exoteric worldview. So they pray for rain. Well, why is there no rain? Because we did something wrong and the gods are not happy with us. Well, we did do something wrong. That's true. We polluted the earth. We burned the rainforest and we changed the entire weather pattern of the planet. That's true. We did do that, and that was wrong. But there's no external God who's going to fix that. If you want that fixed, you've got to stop doing the wrong and start doing the right. In other words, if you want your car to go left, you've got to stop turning the wheel right. If you want your car to go in reverse, you've got to stop putting it in drive and pushing on the gas pedal. You've got to push the brake pedal, put it in R, and then push the gas pedal slowly. Then you'll start to go in reverse. But praying to some god while you have it in reverse, Oh God, make this car go forward. I pray in Jesus' name that you make this car go forward. It's not going to happen until you put it in drive. And then putting in drive is what's going to make the car go forward. If you have gas in the car, if you've got tires on the car, if there's a transmission connected to that, because everything's connected to everything else, it's like the light and the dinosaurs. Thank you, dinosaurs. Yes, but it goes further back to that. Who made the dinosaurs? Thank you, maker of dinosaurs. Well, now, but all these fossil fuels are polluting the earth and everything's all screwed up. Damn you, maker of dinosaurs. You know, see, we're nuts. That's the exoteric worldview. It's insane. Esotericism teaches if you get negative and go with it, you descend in your level of understanding, moving you toward hell. You're facing the wrong direction. It's up to you. Well, no wonder the exoteric worldview is more popular. It's not up to us. All we have to do is put the right little thing in the machine and pull the lever, and, and then the car will go in the right direction, and the dinosaurs will give their light, and everything will be fine. And I'll die and go to heaven, where I can live happily ever after, with no dinosaurs and no this and no that and no light bills and no bad things. Yeah, that's the exoteric worldview. Comforting, isn't it? Yes, it's comforting. Until it's not. And when it's not, then we start looking for answers. So like I said, if you continue to think as you always did, you can't possibly change. If you keep facing out, you can't see what's in. If you keep your car in reverse, you're not going to go forward. It's no sense praying to some god. Oh, god of Chevys, I beg you in the name of Camaro to make this car go forward. It doesn't work, does it? It's just silly. Pure silly. You're laughing because it's pure silly, but it's not any more silly than the rest of everything that we do. It's just that when you hold up the mirror in that particular area, you're not identified with that. You don't pray to Chevy that Camaro will make your car go forward. Ford Buster. <laughs> That's right. You're a Ford man. <laughs>
And that's it. Because you don't do that, you can see that. Because you're not identified with that, you can see that. But when you're identified with it, oh, uh, that's right, it's a Ford, not a Camaro. There are two gods. One is Ford and one is Chevy. Or now there's that other ancient Eastern god, you know, from Japan, Toyota, yeah. So exoteric religions rest on the comfortable concept that someone else can do it for you. What we call that is faith, not works. Now, even Christianity, which has been terribly twisted into something else, and most of its esoteric roots have been lost. But even Christianity, which is probably one of the most abused esoteric religions the world has seen, even that has remnants and scraps of esotericism poking out of it. And you can find them. You can see them. They're as plain as a nose on your face when you know what to look for. It's like you just laugh and go, well, there it is. It's always been there. What the hell come I didn't see it before? Your level of consciousness, your state of under your state of being, your level of being, your, your, your understanding, your level of understanding. That's why you didn't see it before. This is only visible from this level of understanding. It's not visible from that level of understanding. Just like you can only see Mount What's-It-What from this place. You can't see it from that place. Why? Well, because there's Mount Blah-Blah-Blah in front of it at this place. But in that place, you're above Mount Blah-Blah-Blah, so you can see Mount What's-It. Just that simple. Their esoteric roots start with faith. See, all esotericism has something exoteric about it. It has to, because it comes into this world, and this world is exoteric. So it has to have an exoteric manifestation. Our mistake is taking the exoteric manifestation as the source, thinking that that's all there is to it. That's the mistake that we make. The truth is that their faith leads to works, but that gets lost in the shuffle as it gets further and further from its source. You see, at first, the early Christians, they said, you know, look, take care of the widows and the orphans. And now, it's interesting, the modern-day Christians in America, they say, go and convert the widows and the orphans. That's how you really take care of them. Go and convert them. Go and preach the gospel to them. Go and get them saved. Well, it's like, what happened to feeding them? Well, they should be warm and well-filled. Go in peace, be warm and filled. But go in peace because now you're saved. It's like, that's not what the esoteric roots said. But that is what we have now. And then you have a few people who are actually out there taking care of them. And what are they doing it for? Well, it's just kind of like praying on the street corners. Look, I'm doing it. Look at how great I am. Well, that's your reward. But what other reward is there? Well, I'll have a reward in heaven. Where's that? That's an exoteric place, isn't it? It's an exoteric place you go to and you get your exoteric body back. And then you get to take your exoteric body that's going to be different because now it can't be hurt and die. It's in just a Superman's body. And so you get a Superman body and you go to live in a place that's made of gold. Why? Because gold is really expensive here and important and we all want it. So it must be important there too, right? Streets paved with gold must be important there too. It must be like, wow, that's a great place. We're all going to be rich. We're all going to have everything we want. We can indulge ourselves entirely and we'll be able to do it forever because we'll have Superman bodies. That's a completely exoteric view. It's all physical. Nothing spiritual about it at all. There's nothing internal about it at all. If I have all of those things out there, if I have gold streets and if I have a Superman body, I will be happy. It's an exoteric view. It's exactly what we're trying to do here that doesn't work. Only now we've made up a place where it will work. That's it. That's the only difference. We've just made up a place where it will work. Self-development is at the center of all esoteric teachings, but it's not all there is to it. There's more to self-development. We can't do it alone, and we're self-developing. We can't do it alone, and we're self-developing. Well, if we can't do it alone, and we're self-developing, how does that work? That's how it works. We can't do it alone, and we're self-developing. But those two things are opposites. No, they're not. 
you're an opposite. You're opposing this idea. You're the problem. This idea is not the problem. The problem is your limited grasp of the idea. Well, I don't like you saying that. Well, then turn off the machine and go away because you'll find hundreds of people, thousands of people who are saying something else. And you'll find thousands of people who are listening to it and paying them to say something else. I'm saying this for free. So turn it off. You don't lose a thing. It doesn't cost you anything. We want it one way or the other, but not both. The mind must be put in right order. To start with oneself puts the mind in wrong order. We start with ourselves, we've automatically put the mind in the wrong order. We've already put the cart in front of the horse. You can't start with yourself. You have to start with something greater. You can't start with the light. (laughs) You turn the light on and the light doesn't come on. Why didn't the light come on? Well, the light's not good. It's evil. No, it's unplugged. Oh, plug it in and it comes on. Oh, the wall was evil because it spit out the plug. No. No, the cat kicked the plug out when it was playing with the toy. Oh, the cat is evil because it was playing. You know, it's like we have to have this. We have to have this. It's, it's our insanity. We have to have something to blame because we don't want to think. We don't want to see the, the big picture. We don't want to see the greater scale. But esotericism is all about the greater scale. Esotericism is all about flexibility. It's about constantly expanding your awareness, constantly expanding your understanding, constantly expanding your ability to give and receive, constantly expanding you constantly reaching higher, reaching deeper, closer to the real you and further away from this exoteric you that has trapped you in an exoteric world where you do not belong. How do I know you do not belong here? You're not staying. You're not going to be here in 200 years. Oh, yes, I am. They're going to invent something. Well, if they do, I pity you. If there's something greater that we put first and ourselves after, then we'll get help. If we put ourselves first, we don't get any help because we're the greatest and the best and the highest. So there's nothing to help. Yes, Jesus came to set the captives free. So why are you sitting there in your prison cell now that the door's been unlocked? Because things are the wrong way around in our minds. It's not difficult to understand. It's just difficult to do. And that's our problem. Effort takes effort. And you can't make effort without force And you can't have force unless you stop it from leaking out through the five senses into the stomach of whatever it is that's eating it. That force is yours to use for your own development. That's the help you get. That force is given to you from above you so that you can use it to get higher, so that you can reach the wellspring of force. Don't waste it on this other stuff. That's what esotericism is about. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at solidrockvista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.